time to talk is it here on uncle cardboard's limited jamboree i'm uncle cardboard jake brown and we're gonna be diving into the wild world of blue red here it is episode three of my 10-part series breaking down all of the crimson vow archetypes we're gonna get into all of the drafting uh one small archetype at a time eventually it'll be 10 full things and it'll be great if you like pictures then you can watch all of this on youtube at bit.ly slash uncle video it's capital u capital v in uncle video because bitly is a lot of fun and easy to use yay <laughs> Um, if you like the show, if you could take a moment and leave a review, if you're on iTunes, if you can comment on this episode, wherever part of the internet you're at, uh, it really helps new people find the show. I would be greatly appreciative. And I usually respond to comments, which is just great and uh, not damaging for anyone's mental health is reading the comments section no most everybody's really cool and i love reading your comments especially when people have questions we got into a debate over whether or not nurturing presence was good the other day on youtube uh there's good stuff happening so uh thank you so much to everybody who's been leaving comments and i will continue to read them all right is it Overall strategy, we're looking at aggro spells. And this is maybe the most aggressive spells deck. Heck, it is the most aggressive spells deck that I can remember because you're really just doing one drops, two drops, and then trying to play as many cheap cantrips as you can and getting a ton of ping damage or forcing through something that's unblockable. It's really a force of nature when it comes together and damage piles up so quickly that games your opponents thought they were in are suddenly big old W's for you. This deck also really comes together based on the synergy between its commons. You don't really need a ton of like busted rares to make this work. So it's a really nice deck to move into if maybe you took something decent in blue or red but aren't really sure what your second color is and then you start seeing some of those tier one commons that can come later than they probably should be. Uh, but first, let's dive into what our top payoffs are. And this week, I'm going to exclude some of the off-color rares. Let's say, for example, Wedding Announcement is a card that does really well in this deck. However, it's been played under 500 times compared to 5,000 plus for most of the rares on this list. So we're just going to talk about kind of relevant on-color rares because that's going to be your most common use case. So number five, Overcharged Amalgam. And this is a card that comes in and counters something. It also plays really well with your one drops because a lot of times you don't mind sacrificing them turn four or later. And this gives you a nice evasive threat in the air. So no surprise here. Uh, number four is Gerald Visionary Stitcher. Jeroff can play just fine on his own, doesn't need a whole lot of support. You don't have a ton of butts, so you're not making huge flyers, but he does have a kind of nice synergy with Bloody Betrayal. It's not required or necessarily recommended, but something to keep in mind is that there is this cool little pocket of synergy there as he is one of your cheaper sacrifice outlets in the format. Number three, Hallbreaker Horror. Now, not a surprise to see it on this list. Surprised to see it at three. This is a card that is uniformly busted in what we would call a pretty bomb-heavy limited format. But 
I think the fact that it's not the clear and unequivocal number one speaks to how fast this deck is. A lot of times if I have seven lands in play and I have an is it deck, I am nervous. <laughs> that is not what you're trying to be. So uh, something to keep in mind. You're always playing Dream uh, <laughs> or Holebreaker Horror, but it doesn't play quite as busted as it does in some other decks. Number two, we have Dream Shacklegeist, and this is truly the dream card for this deck because it plays well with your tempo cards where you're just trying to tie something down and maybe chip in with some of your you know, earlier drops, and it's an evasive threat. It's pretty much all that you want. It also means that if they play larger creatures that you're not just straight up dying to them. And then number one, game in hand win rate for any rare or mythic in is it is Stencia Uprising. Yes, you heard that right. This is a card that people still pass to me, which blows my mind. But look at it this way, is that you're doing so much early damage through all of these pings that eventually seven damage is just going to end the game on the spot. So Stencia Uprising is your number one payoff for being in is it spells. When we look at our on-color rare in Aerith, Tormented Prophet, it clocks in at number seven, which is totally respectable. It's, I think, in general, it wants to play a longer game and you're going to be able to eke value over time. I'm really nervous dropping it on turn three, a lot of games, because you're just not going to be able to get as many spells out as you want. We're coming back from a really gross burp that I just edited out because I'm your friend. <laughs> All right, so when it comes to exiling spells early, a lot of your cheap spells are drawing you cards. And exiling a Reckless Impulse to, you know, exile even more cards, and then you hit an Ancestral Anger, and you're like, ah, there's just too much going on here, and I don't have the mana to cast it all, just feels bad. So I, I think it's fine, but you're just looking to play a little bit longer game when you include it. Now, normally in this series, I would start talking about signpost uncommons, but I think that the tier one commons are so foundational to what this deck wants to do. There's no way we can really discuss further without talking about them. I've already kind of had to like hint at what they are. So I, I just want to get them out of the way and then we can really talk about where we go from there. The tier one commons are unequivocally and in no particular order a braid, which is, you know, solid cheap removal. Flame Bless Bolt, arguably cheaper, no, definitely cheaper, uh, but also really strong, cheap interaction, which this format values a ton and this deck loves. Lantern Bearer, which is going to chip in for damage, you can sacrifice the body later, and then sometimes you'll just give something flying for lethal. Ancestral Anger, which I really consider the engine of this deck, and if you can get up to four or five of them, it feels unbeatable and Kessig Flame Breather, which is your other part of the engine. And it just, once you get two or three down on the board, giving your Ancestral Angers all, and you know get a bolt to the face of your opponent feels so good. So those are kind of your core commons. And I'm also going to include as an honorable mention, Wedding Invitation. And this is a bit of a surprise. It wasn't even a card that people were considering for the first two weeks of the format, so we didn't have any data on it. It's been tier one for five out of the last six weeks, though, and one of the best commons. So when you consider it, it is another cantrip, which plays really well with what our theme is. It 
gets a trigger off of casting Flame Breather, and it makes something unblockable. So sometimes you're just going to have a Falconrath Celebrants on your top end that it's going to get in for free, and it'll gain you some life. So I, I definitely want to note that that is kind of this card that doesn't really... We, we don't have great data on it because people didn't get it early on. Um, in terms of all of the, you know, tier ones that I mentioned, these are eight out of eight weeks were above average rate. They're, they're just flat out good. Uh, then cards that are just missing out of tier one, they're like tier one and a half are Voldaren Epicure, which again, cheap uh, creature that you can get in some chip damage with. It gives you a blood token, which is great because sometimes you're just pitching stuff. You don't need it. Uh, you also get Chill of the Grave in this next tier, which I think is critical because, again, cantrip, but it also gives you an opportunity to really lock down an opposing threat for a couple combats worth, and that can be the difference in a race. And then finally, Scattered Thoughts for the times when you just need to draw four cards and then get rid of two. In tier two, we have Falconrath Celebrants, which is a card that uh, I think is fine, but not necessarily necessary. You have games where instead of spending five mana on a one four four creature, you'd rather cast two or three spells and get a bunch of um, flame breather triggers, and that's fine. But you know, you're never bummed to cast Celebrants. Also in tier two is Reckless Impulse, which is going to just give this deck some velocity. I like it a little bit less than Scattered Thoughts, but it's a good card. Syncopate, which helps you answer some of those larger threats and is a little bit better than Siphon Essence because it doesn't require as much mana. So you can sometimes just get away with casting it for a blue and a colorless. And then finally, Bloody Betrayal. And Bloody Betrayal is interesting. I first heard about this from Sam Black that... There, with the number of cheap exploit creatures that you have, sometimes Stitched Assistant and Bloody Betrayal is just six mana, like kind of take over a game. You're going to steal their creature. You're going to get in a profitable attack usually because they don't want to kill their creature. And then you cast Stitched Assistant. You get to trade that creature in for a scry and a card and be left with a 3-2 and a blood from Bloody Betrayal. Like, all in all, great deal. So I think that that's kind of a corner case in terms of decks that you should be going after. When that deck comes together, it's because you're getting Bloody Betrayal as like a 14th pick. So there's nothing really that you're giving up to get it. And then you just wind up with a critical mass of exploiters that you're also getting super late because people aren't demure or they just don't like that deck. So in tier three, we're playing cards like Siphon Essence, Repository Scob, um, Alchemist Retrieval, Cruel Witness, and Stitched Assistant. They're all fine. I don't feel like we have a whole lot that we need to discuss with them. So moving on. <laughs> I want to talk about one overrated card right now, and that is Blood Petal Celebrant. It's finished above average only once in eight weeks, but it's been played 19,000 times so far compared to a little over 20,000 for Voldaren Epicure, and it's just a much better card. You 
I think people are like, this just slots in well to my two drop slot, so I'm going for it. I don't really think that Blood Petal Celebrant is the slam dunk a lot of people consider it. I certainly don't want multiples in any deck. If I'm looking for multiples, I'll just speculate on a late Wretched Throng. And then sometimes just being able to put a Throng in your hand to discard to blood is a, a ton of value in this deck. Whereas Blood Petal Celebrant just maybe like eventually getting you a blood token, not as good. In terms of an underrated card, I think I would just kind of reiterate Chill of the Grave as a card that people are missing. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. And also just um, Alchemist Retrieval probably too. It ranks a little bit better than people would expect. And it's, it bounces real and spectacular in this deck. So... Those are our overrated, underrated. Broadly, is it has uh, is one color where the signpost uncommon is just dead on with what we're trying to do in Wandering Mind. It's cheap, it's evasive, it nets you a spell every time. I've never managed to whiff on this. It's possible, but not if you've built your deck correctly. It's just really everything that you're looking for from this little freak. So I'm windmill slamming Wandering Mind. And right now it's that card where people are a little afraid to commit to colors initially on that gold card. So you're getting them a, like pick six, seven-ish and great time to move in. On the flip side, I think Lamholt Raconteur is one of your biggest traps. Here's my issue with Lamholt Raconteur, is that it really only plays well for you if you can flip it tonight, right? Because those, otherwise it's just a beefier flame breather and whatever, you don't care. It, it doesn't matter. If you can get it for two damage reliably, great. But here's your problem, is that a lot of your cheap spells are playing at sorcery speed your ancestral angers, your reckless impulses, your wedding invitation, like a lot of the things that you want to be doing happen at instant speed. So it's hard as hell to flip it over. And then you're pretty much immediately going to double spell and flip it back. So it's, I, I think one of those cards that people are like, well, it makes sense. But I, I think that it's currently being overrated in terms of payoffs. I'd rather have like uh, whispering wizard way before this and that this is really falling for me in like 22nd 23rd card category i want velocity i want to be moving a lot faster at that point of the game as opposed to taking a turn off for a raconteur uh, also just frenzy devils is a card that never worked uh, don't play it it actually has a negative 2.4 percent improvement when drawn rate meaning that you, uh, you, you're you giving up uh, opportunities to win a game when you cast Frenzy Devils. So I, it looks like, it says the word spells. It, that's a trap. Don't get trapped. Your biggest hole in this deck is being able to answer big threats. This deck is certainly fast, but it does not do well racing something like Flourishing Hunter, which is going to gain your opponent some life when it comes down and then just start bashing you. All of your damage-based removal really tops out at 5 damage, so it, when you're looking at what you're most commonly going to be playing in a Braid and Flame Blast Bolt, they just don't have a strong way to deal with a card like, I don't know, uh, Hookhand Mariner, for example. So you need to have ways to 
be able to keep up in a race or at least delay what your opponent's doing. And I mean, there's a reason that the top two uncommons by game in hand win rate in this deck are Lunar Rejection and Rending Flame. You need a way to deal with threats, either to hit for five damage, so you're taking out kind of those mid-range threats, or just delay what their plan's trying to do, especially when you're talking about werewolves. Uh, Lunar Rejection is chef's kiss amazing with that. Um, it, that's also part of the reason why I really like Chill of the Grave. I'm confident having it in that tier one and a half you are just often going to be able to get there in a race off of the back of chill. And it's doing cantrippy things like Lunar Rejection, which is exactly where you want to be. Uh, and then for our only sub-theme, that's the Steal and Exploit, which we already spoke about. You're really not, don't force that. Don't force it. It should come naturally because the cards are available later in the packs. Okay, that has been our breakdown for Is It? Stay tuned next episode. Let's do Simic. Why not? We'll do a color pair that I feel like a lot of people struggled with early on, and we'll check out and see exactly how it's going to work. If you like the show, please share it with friends, post it in a Discord, do all of the things that I can't do because it would be shameless self-promotion. And I will see you back for episode four, Simic, tomorrow, tomorrow. We'll talk Simic tomorrow. Goodbye.